0: The old me out is out of my window, throw cause I don't care anymore, Said I don't care. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Hope you are having a great Saturday. Uh, As you know, Pensacon is coming up in just a couple of weeks, May 21st through 23rd in downtown Pensacola, and I have with us on the line a couple of the guests that are going to be here with us. Uh, Please welcome to the show Nestor Carbonell and Shannon Kenny Carbonell.
1: Hi, Julio. Thank you so much for having us.
2: Yes, thanks,
1: Julio.
0: Uh, Hi. Thank you for being here. We're we're very excited to have you both here in in Pensacola, like I said, in just a couple of weeks for Pensacon, uh, for folks to come out and meet you, get autographs, get photos, and... And hear a little bit more about you, but we're going to hear a little bit more about you now on the show too. Uh, so I wanted to start with I, I did did some digging, and if I'm if what I have read is correct, uh, the two the two of you met working on a show together in 1995 called Muscle. Is that right? Yes, Muscle. No, it,
2: 1995. Okay, that's good. I thought it was 94, but well, I, I think I'm
1: wrong. no, no. I think we, well, we started shooting in 94, and I think it started airing in 95, which is probably why. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Yeah.
2: We so- have to remember it because thats
1: where we started our yeah. relationship we started dating I think right I think we started shooting right after thanksgiving in ninety four so not not more than three weeks after we started shooting, we started dating secretly, of course, because <laughs> the producers didn't want any of us dating. um so we kept it a secret all the way through the thirteen episodes that had lasted and then and mm-hmm. then you know, then we were like, all right, show's canceled. We uh we can let everyone know.
0: So so for anybody that doesn't remember that show, t- tell us a little bit about what that was all about.
2: Oh, that was the show. Um, it was produced by the guys who did the old. Um, I guess it was a, a half-hour comedy called Soap, and it had Billy Crystal in it, and I think Tom Hanks. No, I'm no, wrong. Not, with that? I'm not wrong Tom. With that. No, who
1: did Buzz Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> well,
2: anyway. Um, and it was sort of a remake by those guys, but it wasn't a remake of that show, but it was sort of that that theme uh remade in a gym, yeah, and that's why it was called Muscle, and it was sort of a soap opera sort of funny takeoff of that satire,
1: yeah, is it was, you know a broad satire we set in a gym shannon was the uh wife of the owner of the gym and then and then subsequent owner when, when the when the Adam West, who was her husband died uh and uh and I was the resident gigolo. <laughs> Well, that, so uh, that sounds uh, like
0: a lot of fun, not not the gigolo was, job, but was, the show was, in general.
1: Oh no, the gigolo job. He was, was fun. the gigolo. That's <laughs> why I dated him. <laughs> no, no. Well, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it was so much fun. It was, it was, it was. Uh, I think a little ahead of its time, or maybe I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, it, it, it sounds last, like it. It sounds like
0: right. something that would do really well on streaming today.
1: I hope it's uh, it's available it, somewhere. It, it would, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Back then, yeah.
2: It's, yeah, and the, the humor was very. Uh, it was dry. Yeah. I had had all young people in it. It was so much fun. There was a cast of eleven of us and it was guaranteed thirteen on the air, so we knew we were employed for a while. And it was it was really, a really fun job. I enjoyed that. And so three yeah, weeks we had a lot of fun. So three weeks in yeah. you're already
0: dating, so was it love at first sight? It was for me. Uh,
1: uh, Shannon took a little work.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just very nervous about the job. I was pretty ton vision, I and uh, I knew, I knew Mr. was there and, and that he liked me, but I was just trying to get through the first couple of episodes. Yeah, she's
1: keeping me on ice. I was ready to go. I was like, hey, come on. <laughs> I, I think this could work, you know? So, uh, but, you know, Shannon was interesting. You were so focused. You know, Shannon had left, you know, Australia at 18 to come to CalArts. She'd gotten into Juilliard, couldn't afford it. Um, and, and used all her money from the soap opera she did for a year in, in Australia to pay for the first year of CalArts. So, I mean, she sacrificed uh, so much to be here. Acting was, was everything to you, When I'm, and especially when I met you. I mean, you were – I don't know how many waitressing and, and, and yeah. jobs you had and you cleaned houses. I mean –
2: Yeah, I think, it, it, I think that job for me was the end of 25 waitressing jobs. So I, I really wanted it to no, – I, I really did not want to get fired. So <laughs> – so, but yeah, but then I did notice
1: you. Oh, then you did. You, you know, after we shot the, the, I guess the first two episodes of the pilot, then then you know, then we started dating, and then you know, we started to relax a little bit. Oh yeah,
2: because we, yeah, we were told that we weren't allowed to date. Then we got a big talking by the producers, and um, actually then Nestor kind of backed off of me, and I was I was then I was ready, and he had gone.
1: Yeah, I was like, no, I'm gonna do the goody tissues. I'm gonna <laughs> listen to the producers, and uh, and sure enough, then the tables turned, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, she started chasing me.
2: Anyway, sorry. So I had to, I had to go after him then. But all was good. It was good.
0: Well, and you both went from from that to some pretty substantial projects. For for Nester, I think the pretty much the next thing that you went on to was maybe the first thing that a lot of people got to know you in Suddenly Susan.
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, this was at a time when when the you know sitcoms were so prevalent, and uh, especially on NBC. And so so yeah, I auditioned for that. Uh, you know, a few months after Muscle was canceled, and and luckily. You know, landed that, and that that was uh, at the time it was it was a whole season on the air, or at least 13 on the air. You know, it, it was called musty TV back then because the, it was a coveted time slot. So we were, yeah, you know, I was really lucky. And then Shannon, you went on to you were doing. A, I don't so You did a you did a number of tiles, then you did Invisible Man a few years after that. Yeah, yeah. a lot.
2: Of, I think a lot of years after. Yeah, yeah. I sort I- of skipped from jump to jump, but you had the really big jump.
0: But that Invisible Man was a big hit on on sci-fi as well and and ran for a couple of seasons. Talk a little bit about working on that show.
2: I loved doing that show. It was, yes, we, yeah, it was big for sci-fi. And it was only a cast of four of us. So it was so much fun. And we we shot it down in San Diego. And Nestor and I got engaged, I think, during that show and bought a house. Um, But I was sort of able to come back uh, up and back. So it was just a great show because, It was pretty, we were able to improv with that show because the producers were all writing up here and we were shooting down in San Diego. So we didn't have a whole lot of eyes on us down there. And so we were kind of naughty and we played with it a lot. And it was a really smart show that still had a lot of heart. And um, that's why I loved it. And the four of us got along really well. And we've lost Eddie Jones now, who was just such a great actor. We all really honored him. And um, and the two guys, Paul and Vincent. Vincent was a good friend of ours before we shot the show. So that was really great because I was also really close with his wife, and she was down there too. And it was just like a little family, and I, I had a blast. And we did two episodes pretty much back-to-back, back, two, seasons, two seasons, sorry, two seasons pretty much back-to-back. Back. And we also got married between season one and two. We
1: did. We got married in Australia. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that great. Managed to make that work, yeah. Oh
2: yeah.
0: I was just saying in that same right. time frame, you were also doing uh the voice of Inc. on Batman Beyond, which is a great villain and a great show. Uh talk talk a little bit yes. about
2: that. I love I, I did a lot of a lot of voices back then, but Inc. was great because it was recurring and it was in Batman. Am I right about yeah, that? It, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, she was just, oh, it was, you know, I went in to do one and then I did lots of lots of subsequent episodes. And she was just a great, I loved playing like delicious kind of villains. And she was the perfect one. And I think I had a plastic toy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Nestor, this uh, is around <laughs> the same time you were dipping your toe in the superhero world too, playing Batman well on the tick.
1: Yeah, exactly. Not quite the, the hero that I envisioned, but uh, that, that was arguably one of my favorite jobs.
2: Oh, you yeah. were amazing. Uh, I loved it. Now, oh, are you
1: you really, aware that show. Now,
0: are you aware that Patrick Warburton is going to be here as well while you folks are here?
1: I had no idea. You're kidding. Oh, no, I'm so excited. I had no clue. Uh, I haven't seen him in forever, so that's going to be amazing. Patrick was Extraordinary. They uh, Barry Sonnenfeld designed the the costume of the tick, and he wanted it to look seamless. So they 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 actually made ten of them. It's been a fortune. I mean, something like a quarter million dollars on on ten suits, and of latex. And there was and they were only in two pieces. And so because they were only in two pieces, it, it wouldn't breathe. So we were on a sound stage and even though they blasted the air conditioning, I mean, we're all you know we're all sweating underneath all of these prosthetics and and these costumes. So they, they designed a room for Patrick where they just blasted A.C., this huge A.C. vent into the room, and he couldn't really sit down, so they just had him against a plank in <laughs> oh, between gosh. scenes so he could cool down, the poor guy. but <laughs> They kind of rolled him up and out. You never heard a peep from Patrick. He was such a trooper. He was amazing in that role. I mean, it was just made for him. That was a blast. That truly was a blast. The writing was sensational.
0: Well, we are up against a break, but we will be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. You are you are you are News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host Julio Diaz. We are talking with two of the big guests that will be here for Pensacon May twenty first through twenty third. Nestor Carbonell and Shannon C- Kenny Carbonell are with us on the line, and we're gonna we're gonna get to what that music was about in just a, just a second or two. A little drive shaft for you. I for think I two, know those two, Those two, A little <laughs> bit of throwback for you folks uh, that remember that uh, that yep. great band. Uh, But before we get to that, you know, we we kind of talked about how your your careers are going kind of parallel for a while there. And then you did a movie together that Nestor you wrote called Attention Shoppers, which I have to admit I've never seen. But I'm looking at the information about this and I can't believe I've never seen it because the cast is incredible. It's not just you two, but Michael Lerner and Kathy Najimy and Martin Mull, Luke Perry, Casey Affleck, who went on to win an Oscar, Lynn Shea. Uh, Talk a little bit about this movie.
1: Yeah, it was, it's actually pretty funny. It's a little meta. It's a little bit meta, but in the sense that I, 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 it was my first appearance, and I was actually asked to, to open uh, a Kmart. And in in, this is when I was doing Suddenly Susan, and I think it was in Houston. And uh, and I was like, ah, I've never, I didn't know anything about this stuff. This is back before conventions were even a thing. And I was like, well, okay, they come out, and I guess, you know, you meet the fans and this and that. So I did like one radio interview, and I was like, all right, I'll just do this, right? And maybe you know whatever they pay me, I'll I'll, I'll put it towards doing a short, like a short film or something like that, something kind of cool and creative and fun. So I was excited. I went. I did this radio interview, and I was you know excited to go. And I go to the Kmart, and I show up, and you know, and I was like, oh, okay, so where where would you like me to sit? And I and, and they were just in the midst of actually opening this big K. So there was really no place for me. To, there was no setup. The focus obviously was on 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 opening the thing. So anyway, the the, the short of it is that I bombed. I mean, I bombed like epically. And uh, I think I, maybe one person showed up off the radio interview. <laughs> and I came home, and there was a series of events that happened throughout that whole thing that was sort of portentous of what was to come. And so I came home, and Shannon and I had a huge laugh. And and that sort of spawned the idea of doing sort of this, this satire, this this film about this guy, this sort of guy who's very self-involved, who who does bomb at one of these things. And obviously it's much more heightened than things happening that didn't happen to me. But that was sort of the genesis of, of that film.
0: Well, it, it sounds like a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, obviously with that cast, uh, hopefully people get a chance to check that out. I want to make, make sure to mention, too, because another thing, Shannon, that people will know you for is you had a, a big recurring role on Seventh Heaven for several episodes. And that would be in that kind of time frame, too. So talk a little bit about working on that show
2: that was a great show because I I'd already had my first baby after that show uh, when I did that show and it was on its um, oh my gosh it was on its like 11th heaven <laughs> it was it, it has been going a long time those kids that you remember as really little tiny kids were were teenagers by the time I was on it and uh, I played the mom this is how late it was I played the mom of a kid who was dating the little Ruthie character and so it was a pretty great schedule for a new mom uh, for for me so I you know we I would come in and shoot a few days get my hair and makeup done and I sometimes I would make it home to mommy groups you know so uh, I I really enjoyed being on that show it was like a, a well-oiled machine I worked on that show until my second baby was really it was almost about to be born. It, it, my stomach was huge by the end of that um, by the end of that show. Oh, my run on that show! But yeah, everybody was lovely. It was a re, it was the most relaxed set I'd ever been on, and some of the directors have been there forever. <laughs> and Sometimes I would even. And I love like, a line. And then there, there was a couple, one really lovely, he'd been directing for years. And he'd be like, okay, moving on. I'm sure he was about 90. And I'd say, no, no, Harry, Harry, we have to go again. I flubbed the line. Oh, okay, you did. It. All right, let's go again. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great show. It was a great show. For, and, that, and that was it for me. That's where I ended. Yeah, that's when you
1: stopped acting and, and yeah, and, and sort of. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this is where where you know you have this big life changing decision that comes up for for your family. Uh, yeah. Nestor, you get offered this yep. this show that is this huge hit called Lost. In order to do it, you've got to move the whole family to to Hawaii, and that that leads you, Shannon, to be in a situation where you've got to decide what you're going to do. You know whether you're going to put your career aside and is this the best move for the family? And now you've got a book out mm-hmm. about that whole experience. So let's let's talk a little bit about the book first. Uh, tell tell us okay, about so, the book.
2: Uh, yeah. I decided a few years earlier, actually, to leave, but it was around the time this got lost because in the first couple of seasons, he, um, he just started out as a guest star for that show, um, but I was a huge fan of Lost. In fact, that's I think that's where I know the song from, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, maybe yeah. just a little.
2: Yeah, and you'll see Nestor has a blank face. He has no idea where song. <laughs> so that was no idea. When, when
1: yeah, for, I got the show, Shannon had to fill me in. She had to fill me in on everything because I, I I hadn't I'd watched the pilot a few episodes, but I lost the thread, no pun intended. And Shannon, I was like, Oh my god, book this job, Shannon you gotta fill me in. So she did.
2: Uh I yeah,
0: loved and you for everything. for anybody was, listening that doesn't know that the song is uh, Charlie Pace is a character in lost, he's played by Dominic Monhan. Uh, he was one of the people that was on the yes. plane crash and he had been the the bass player in this band drive shaft and that was their their, <laughs> their one hit that was you the, the body. <laughs> so I, I couldn't resist. I knew we were going to be talking about Loss so I couldn't resist. I'm a big Loss fan. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 we, to to go back to what you were saying okay. so you know you you had to make yeah. this decision and l- let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah,
2: I I I made I've actually made the decision soon um pretty much as soon as my second Little boy was born, and um, and really, as soon as I, I made the decision, I really didn't feel good with it. Actually, even though I I really wanted, I mean everything in me wanted to be with them, with the boys, but I didn't realize that there's another part of there was another part of me, and is another part of me that um, was just so I'd been so driven to be an actor, and um, right or wrong that was a part of me now and then or well, not even now but then and um and I just felt a huge gaping hole inside of me and and I felt very empty and I re- realized I had set up my whole identity to be an actor and I just felt like I had um where well, what I'd be okay with it I just wasn't I I felt I lost I just, I felt like I had become a loser. I failed at my dreams, basically. And that, I mean, as you, as you come up being an actor, you know, people, you know, it's hard on people. People who are brilliant actors, it's a dog scratching, um, just don't, they just don't get seen the way you think they should be seen in Hollywood. And they just, you know, they die away one by one. And I feel like, oh, I'm, I've bit the dust too. And it. I didn't sit well with it, and I really, and I felt really lost for many years. And then after season two and three and four, then for season five was to, to be there the whole year. So we all picked up and we moved to Hawaii, me feeling still very lost. and um, And then Hawaii happened, and almost unknowingly, something changed, and it was, I mean, I was very into loss, but there really is a big feeling, a big spiritual feeling on that island. And that year was a really transformative year. I met people. I met I met a bunch of women, some were military that had this amazing sort of a great perspective on life and the world and uh, just a bunch of things. Being away from Hollywood, some, we had some big big family trouble. Um, and just some amazing adventures I went on. And just little by little, my life started to just sort of come together, the parts of who I probably would have been without being an actor. And I, I sort of started to fill up in this most magnificent way. And then I journaled that whole year. And then I, when I got home, I started to write the book. And it's a really great story of this journey that um, I took to become me again in a way or come home to myself again. And I think it's a story that a lot of women need to, I think it's a journey that a lot of women need to take when they become full-time moms or lose a part of themselves for any reason.
1: Right. I I agree. I think it's something a lot of, uh, Shannon's got a lot of mail from women all over the world who've read the book and, 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 you know, thanking her saying, thank you for, for acknowledging this thing that I was too embarrassed to even acknowledge because, you know, obviously everyone, if you when you become a parent, you're so grateful. You know, it's it's, it's like the, the, most, the most incredible gift. So to start complaining about giving up your identity for this and that, you know, you feel kind of embarrassed or ashamed, but there's no question that you're giving up. I mean, when you're raising your kids to reach for the stars, you know, in the same way that you were raised to reach for the stars, and you cut yourself sh- short of that trip to the stars, it's going to leave a hole in you. So, so the, the the first part of healing is is acknowledging it, and then sort of you know sort of recalculating how you're gonna you know live your life you know and and uh, and and so that that's something that a lot of people uh, you know have
2: related to and, and uh, Yeah, because we don't we're too because we feel like brats I I felt like a total brat feeling this way because I was really privileged you know I was privileged to be at home but I think we sort of whisper it to each other women but we don't really want to say it out loud because we don't want to be spoiled because we're very lucky to have kids and to be with them. And, but it is something that we all like is our constant conversation in a way. And, but at the same time, I was also on the Island, you know, and I was very wrapped up in lost. I was this huge fan and, there were a lot of similarities between all oh, the magic on the island and the magic and the things that happened to the survivors. So it, it, I saw a lot of similarities, and I drop it in the book, you know. So it's not a tell-all at all about Lost, but it's a pretty deep dive into act, Nestor's life as an actor on Lost. Um, and obviously yours, yes. And mine being like <laughs> a, fan, a super <laughs> fan. And
0: I, and I assume and, you'll have um, uh, copies of the book available at Pensacon?
1: Yeah, we'll have copies there. It's called All Is Not Lost. And uh, yeah, Shannon, we'll bring copies for Shannon to sign if anyone Mm. cares for me to sign it as well. I'm happy to do that. We can take pictures too. But yeah, we'll have plenty of copies of of All Is Not Lost uh, with us for sure.
0: Well, we'll look forward to that. We'll look forward to seeing you at Pensacon May 21st through 23rd. We're running out of time, but I wanted to hit you up real quick because I know you're uh, working on the second season of The Morning Show, and I know people are going to be really excited about that. So can you give us a little preview of that?
1: Absolutely. We're just about to wrap. We're, we're finishing in the next couple of weeks, the second season. Um, and uh, I think themat- thematically, uh, I, not, not much I can say because we're not allowed to, but there will be some sort of thematic issue. Uh, certainly there will be issues of COVID that, that come up as, as there have been in shows that have since shot. But we will pick up where we left off somewhat in, in terms of the upheaval that was caused at the end of season one with uh, Jennifer Anderson's character sort of blowing up the network in a sense. You know, and uh, and and, uh, yeah, we'll pick up sort of, yeah, from that fallout. Um, It's a great cast. We have new additions in Julianna Margulies, uh, you know, and uh, uh, in Greta Lee as well and others. And it's uh, it's really fun. It's really beautifully written by Carrie Aaron. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for it to come out.
2: She did Bates Motel.
1: Yeah, I worked with her on Bates Motel and she's just an extraordinary writer. Incredible.
0: Well, we're looking forward to that. And again, we're looking forward to seeing you here in Pensacola in just a few weeks. Pensacon is May 21st through 23rd. And uh, thank you again so much for taking time to talk with us today. We've got to take a break. We'll be back with Jeremy Branch after the break. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 923 and AM 1620. <laughs> Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. want to give thanks one more time to Nestor Carbonell and Shannon Kenny Carbonell for joining us on the show this morning. Of course, you're going to get a chance to meet them in just a few weeks at Pensacon coming up May 21st through 23rd, downtown Pensacola. Uh, it was great having them on the show this morning. and It's going to be even greater to have them here in Pensacola. Hope everybody gets a chance to come out and meet them and have a great time. We're going to continue to have a great time this morning. Uh, Joining me on the phone right now is one of our regular guests on this show, Jeremy Branch from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube. Jeremy, welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola.
3: Julio, congrats on another fantastic interview, first of all, sir. Uh, Always count on you for some just really good quality interviews. I'm very excited about meeting these two guests, and I'm also equally excited if not a little bit less excited but still very very excited to talk about this this finale that we're about to get into a moment in here in just a minute so thanks for having me buddy
0: yeah no worries glad to have you we've of course been talking about the uh, the amazon prime series invincible throughout its entire first season run and uh on friday actually thursday night amazon's really good about this has been the first week in uh in, in several weeks that we've been talking about all these shows and i've had to get up super early to make sure that I watch them in time to to discuss for both this show and for, for other media that I do, but Amazon's very kind. Their Friday debut is not at midnight. It's not at 3am, you know, like, uh, like certain, uh, streaming channels we could discuss Disney plus, excuse me. Uh, (laughs) so, uh, they, they actually will put stuff on like you know eight o'clock ish the previous night. And that's their Friday. That's their Friday debut. So I, I got to watch, uh, the season finale of invincible and then go you know actually sleep for a whole night for for the first time on a on a on a friday in a long time so that was that was nice uh so uh but let's uh let's get into let's get into this i'm i'm assuming you are caught up on this yes
3: i am okay. i finished it all about 15 minutes ago
0: <laughs> as long as it's before the show starts we're all good Yes. So uh yes, so I- we'll put up first of all we'll put up the spoiler warnings cuz there's really no way to discuss this this finale without getting into spoilers. So if you're watching Invincible and you haven't watched the the season finale yet, uh and it is a season finale, you you know, turn down the volume for leave it on the station but turn down the volume for a few minutes and then you can turn it back up and we'll we'll be fine. But uh big old spoiler warning for the the season finale of Invincible. And what I'm wanting to know Jeremy is I, I expected a lot of what we we saw because I have read the comics. I know you have not. So was this what you expected?
3: Yeah, I'm glad you started with that because throughout the rest of these recaps, I've been like, Julio, I just I got to know what's going on with Omni-Man. I got to know what's going on with Omni-Man. And this reveal could have made or break in, broken, excuse me, the show for me. And I come down on the side of being very favorable as far as what Omni-Man's motivation is. It's basically just to go and colonize the world as this, uh, very imperialistic, uh, planet of, the, I don't remember, uh, what is it? Vivance or something the, like the, that? The
0: Viltermites.
3: Viltermites, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought this episode was phenomenal. It wasn't what I was expected. If I was looking for motivations, that would have been very far down the list, Julio. So it was not what I expected, but it ended up working you know, very well for me.
0: It was not what you expected, but in a good way. It subverted your expectations. It didn't disappoint you. No. Yeah,
3: I think that's okay. a very fair assessment.
0: Yeah, so, so for those that, that don't know, basically this episode just turns everything that our lead character, Mark, has thought was real in his life upside down. He has believed all his life that knowing that his father was an alien from from the planet Viltrum, that he was Viltrumite and that Mark himself was partially Viltrumite. Uh, but he believed that this was a benign race and that his father had come here to be the protector of the Earth. What he's really here for is to prepare the Earth for colonization and to basically beat Earth into submission. And uh, yes. and it, it's uh, it's not pretty. I mean, you've, you've seen the, the violence on the show already. So, you know, the level of violence that we're talking about. But the first, oh gosh, a little more than half of this episode probably, is, is Mark refusing to go along with what his father wants in, in terms of dominating the planet because he feels like this is his home and these are his people. Even though he may be Viltrumite and his father tells him that Viltrimite genes are so dominant that he's probably more viltramite than human, uh, he still feels human and he you know cares for his mother who his father basically told, her, told him, yeah, I love her, but I love her like you know you'd love a dog. Yeah, she's, she's, a real she's, good way to a,
3: make somebody join your side. Yeah, by she's the way. A, she's
0: a pet to me. She's not, you know, you know she, <laughs> because we're so long lived, and everybody you know is going to die, and you're not even going to yeah. look thirty yet. You know, hmm. and this this whole spiel about he should be loyal to Viltrumite because to Viltrum because that's where his his genetics come from, and that's where his lifespan is going to come from, and he's not going to have the lifespan of an average human. He's going to live easily five six hundred years. So you know he's trying. His father is trying to convince him that this is the way to go, and Mark stands up to him and you know says, "I'll I'll fight you and I'll I'll save this planet," and it proceeds to just be his dad literally beating him to a bloody pulp for the first half of this episode. It's really violent and it's really uncomfortable, and it's supposed to be. I, I mean, yeah. it's 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 all it, If this were live action rather than animation, I would describe it as gut churning.
3: Absolutely. And even in the form of animation, it it really does have a, have an effect on the viewer. Or at least I can speak for myself, but yeah, it's almost like that beginning sequence, as you said, it's about half of the episode and it is uh, so it's kind of like if man of steel showed what was actually happening within the buildings. I mean, they touched down in Chicago and simply uh, invincible falling, just taking a hit, he destroys half of downtown Chicago and, He's starting to realize the the cost of what it means to actually stand against his father, who was Omni-Man, and the scene where uh, Omni-Man just, like, puts him through a train in the subway, and people are just splattering around both of their freaking, you know, they're basically diamond as far as how strong they are. And uh, Mark has to now deal with the fallout of that. Um, I do feel like this episode handled a lot of Mark's kind of emotional arc, really really well and i also like the fact that um the world is now that we have got through season one and we understand the omni-man thing i'm i'm beginning to realize how many of these other awesome subplots we have going on that were just kind of uh tucked throughout the season that they have so much possibility of where they can go moving forward and i'm stoked
0: yeah there's a great montage at the end of the episode that kind of picks up on all those little strings of all the things that were we're planning through the episode be it what's going on with the guardians of the globe or what's going on with titan the the uh the crime lord that uh that duped invincible into helping him take right. over or the the battle beast who was uh, you know had also just wheeled the heck out of mark uh, a couple episodes ago or uh, you know the the martians you know all the various things that we've seen none of those things have gone away those are those are all developing and then we also had you know kind of for the climax not the climax of the episode but the the bow on the episode is Mark talking with Alan the Alien, who we saw a few episodes back. The guy that's come to you know, kind of test Earth every every couple of years, and then finds out that he was going to the wrong planet. Uh, he He's com- a great character. Yeah, he comes back and voiced by Seth Rogen, who's also an executive producer on the show. Uh, he comes back to warn Mark that they that when he went back and reported that he'd gone to the wrong planet, that the planet was there was a Viltrumite on the planet and he came back to warn Mark about Omni-Man not knowing anything and uh, finding out that whole situation. So there, I don't think we've seen the last of the Viltrumites in in this either. I think there's a, there's going to be a a bill to pay later on for that, but I think that's, I don't think that's coming up real soon. I think that's something that that will get built up towards over the the course of the series. But, yeah, it
3: uh, feels like an in game kind of maneuver, as in Omni Man will end up being the the big threat. And
0: I just can't even imagine, Julio,
3: what that would look like is an entire armada of these Viltrumites showing up on Earth. When you've seen the amount of devastation, just one of them can do. So uh, I don't know how you I, I don't know how you address that problem, but it's going to be a problem.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned Man of Steel because I do think that's a point of reference that a lot of people might take when they see this. I think it's fair to point out that this original story, as far as the comics go, precedes Man of Steel. So it, right. it may have actually been the other way around. There's some chance perhaps that maybe Zack Snyder saw Invincible and decided that's what he wanted to do in Man of Steel. I don't know that that's the case, but it's certainly possible. Uh, but uh, but uh, Robert Kirkman and his uh, artistic cohorts had, had come up with this uh, several years before that movie, so worth mentioning.
3: Yeah, yeah, and it's actually like the Kryptonians, uh, like the Doomsday, or no, not Doomsday, the villain Darkseid knew that there was no Kryptonian on Earth, so they were free to, like, attack it or whatever, and that's almost the opposite but similar plot point that we get in the show.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, it's just such a rich world and I'm I'm very excited to see they announced yesterday we're we're definitely getting at least two more seasons of this. Yes. They announced yesterday that they have renewed Invincible for seasons two and three. I don't know if they'll continue to be eight episode seasons, but uh, I, I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. That's eight hours of programming. So that's really, you know, for the average animated show, that would be double that many episodes. That'd be sixteen episodes in a season. Uh, Mm. So, you know, very glad to see that uh, we're not the only people that are excited about and watching the show, that obviously there's enough of an audience that they want to continue and uh, very much looking forward to seeing that continue. What are you most looking forward to in future seasons, Jeremy?
3: Oh, that's a really good question because there are a couple of great subplots. I really like the Battle Beast stuff. I'm I'm curious to see how that gets reconciled. And then I also kind of forgot that Cecil was manufacturing that horde of super zombies, essentially, which is a little bit murky as far as the ethics behind it because Cecil really came out in front to be what I perceive as a heroic and a a decent man in this episode. But, you know, like this whole series, they're really messing with what it means to be good and evil and having to make tough calls just like Omni-Man tells Invincible. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about several of the plot points, but I'm really excited to see how Cecil kind of evolves moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's a very gray world. We'll, we'll get to see more of that for sure. We've got to take a break. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio ninety two three and AM sixteen twenty. and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Oh, it's so deliciously 90s. You just can't get more 90s than that. More original 1995 Mortal Kombat movie theme. And with me on the line is Jeremy Branch from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube. And we are finally, because we couldn't last week because somebody hadn't watched it yet, finally going to get to talk about the new Mortal Kombat movie. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, you have seen it now, Jeremy, right?
3: I have, and I even brought my JNCO jeans 30 inches around the ankles so that I could be, like, period ready for this. Julio, I am nice.
0: a huge Mortal
3: Kombat nerd. Did you know that about me?
0: I did know that about you. That was, that was part of the reason that, uh, that we were going to do this because you were, you're definitely more of a Mortal Kombat nerd than me. I, I, don't, I don't think I've played much of the games. I did see the 95 movie. I haven't seen any of the other. I didn't see what was it? Mortal Kombat Insurrection, Annihilation, Annihilation you know, <laughs> Mortal Kombat Dawn of Justice. You know, and I didn't hmm. I haven't seen that one. I didn't see the uh, the was was not there like a web series too?
3: There was Mortal Kombat Legacy, which and was supposed to be pretty good. There was, it is it really? I, I in particular, season two was really good. It's the machi- uh Machinima guys. Yeah, and so
0: I, think, I, I, think, I definitely
2: uh, think it's a good.
0: I think uh Marissa Tancheroan and Jed Whedon, who uh were the uh showrunners on Agents of Shield worked on that for a while too.
2: They
1: did, they
3: did, in addition to another of my favorite little web series, Dr. Horrible sing-along bug.
0: Yep, yep. Uh so yeah, so I haven't seen all of that, so I am not the Mortal Kombat expert. So for me to say I liked the new movie, you know, it's I'm a casual as far as I'm I mean I'm I'm not a casual in terms of general sci fi horror superhero Action martial arts kind of movie stuff. Uh, I am a little bit of a casual when it comes to the gaming side of it and when it comes to the entire universe, but you're the expert here. So I liked the movie, I had fun with it, but you're the opinion that counts here, Jeremy. So, so hit me, tell me you loved it.
3: I loved it. You know, it's uh, it's bad, Julio. It's bad, really? but I really. <laughs> I really did enjoy it, so my. Uh, let me try to give my condensed version, so you and I can discuss a so, little bit more. Yeah, so wait, I feel like they
0: should have. Let me clarify what you they, said there. It's terrible, but you loved it. Correct. Yes. Okay. Bad
3: movie, and I can objectively understand why anybody would say it's a bad movie. But Warner Brothers has recently become the studio that says, we are making movies for the fans of this stuff. General audiences be damned. And I don't know if that's shooting themselves in the foot or if it's actually really awesome because there are so many elements of this movie that I thought were, in particular, that opening sequence. I mean, that that is so well done. And the conflict between Scorpion and Sub-Zero always been the most interesting stuff to me. So I love the bookends, the
0: beginning of and the end,
3: but so much of the crap that happens in between it is just it's just hard to justify
0: julio is it hard to justify for you just from a general filmmaking standpoint or is it because you had higher expectations knowing the mythos did you set did you set the bar too high for this because for me mm. it, yeah it's dumb in places but i thought you know it hit all the it hit all the stuff i wanted to see in this movie in terms of they got all the catchphrases in they had some really great fights the effects are of course, light years better than the '95 movie, which sure. even for '95 had terrible effects. <laughs> it um, did I think the the acting is all around better? I think the fact that they actually cast an ethnically diverse group of actors in this film, instead of having you know a white dude like Christopher Lambert playing Raiden, uh, mm. there there's that in and of itself says something. And uh, I, I definitely don't think they shot themselves in the foot with a, with a mainstream audience because the film did gangbusters business th- this past weekend, be, some of the best business we've seen since the pandemic. So That's uh, what I'm hearing. I, I think we're going to see more of this. I know the director was signed for five movies, uh, so I think we're going to see at, at least one more out of this guy.
3: Uh, so and additionally, he hired uh, Joe Tatham, which is the, uh, the actor from The Night Comes For Us. He's a phenomenal martial artist that was actually in the Raid: Redemption. He plays Sub-Zero. They signed a five-movie deal. So we know sub Zero is coming back, which in the game, Scorpion's always been my favorite player. This movie, to me, feels like somebody had a take on Sub-Zero and was like, let's try to build a Mortal Kombat movie around that because Sub-Zero is – So top tier, I mean, as far as the way they portray his powers, how intimidating he is. He's just, uh, he's menacing when he shows up into that town and they're like, oh, wow, it's snowing in July. And then he's just blasting ice at everybody. Like, Sub-Zero was handled perfectly. And then I also really liked the uh, Kung Lao character and was shocked about uh, something that happened to him about halfway through the movie.
0: Well, we we can go ahead and put up the spoiler warning. So from here on out, uh, for the rest of the show, we are under a spoiler warning for the new Mortal Kombat film. If you haven't seen it yet, don't know why you haven't. It's on right there on your HBO Max at home. You can watch yep. it at home or you can run out to one of our local theaters and, and support them and, and give them a little cash, which they can, uh, can definitely use and, and, uh, and check it out because it's worth seeing. Uh, but go ahead.
3: Yeah, I agree. It absolutely is worth seeing. And if you're a Mortal Kombat fan and you have any inkling of, uh, you know, should I go, should I not? I believe it's a better film than the 1995 version i just there's so many things that they leaned into as far as stuff that fans would like as you said saying things like fatality flawless victory but it almost seemed like they were ashamed of some of the you know more obviously uh cheesy elements of it like who doesn't love the theme song that we just now opened up the movie with
0: if they could have just worked it in
3: somewhere or the control song from well, when Liu Kang and Reptile fight
0: something. And to be fair, they do. I mean, the the theme song is in there. First of all, it's kind of orchestrated into some of the in, into some of the score. But then there is a new version of it over the end credits. Now, I will say it does not compare to the '95 banger. No. The, the, the one thing I will put about Mortal Kombat '95 over Mortal Kombat '21 is uh, is that original 95 theme song and it's like i said it's just so so gloriously 90s that there's just no way of of, of matching that there's just it's untouchable it's it's mm-hmm. the the cheese factor is as off the charts but i love it
3: yeah yeah you you're probably right about it it, it might just have needed to stay in 1995 but i don't, I don't know i felt like the 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 composition of the the score itself was a little bit underwhelming. Um, It never really felt like it was integrated into the visuals going along well. And there are a lot of the casting of the characters that I loved. I thought Sonya was great. I thought Kano was great. Mm -hmm. I really liked Scorpion and Sub-Zero. I didn't like Shang Tsung or Raiden. I felt they lacked presence and that they felt... They didn't feel integral to the story. They just felt like they were, you know, kind of there as figureheads, but didn't really have anything to do.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think that one of the biggest things that you can criticize this film about from a a Mortal Kombat mythos standpoint, and again, remember, I'm coming at this as a casual, but the the big thing about Mortal Kombat is the tournament. The tournament is kind of everything. You know what we didn't see in this movie? We didn't see a tournament. Thank you. So I, I get that I've heard that criticism a lot. I get that criticism. I think they're saving the tournament and I think they're doing that for a reason because the whole thing in this was that the the bad guys were trying to avert the tournament altogether and just kill everybody. So I, I get where that was coming from. And then the other the other little hitch that I noticed that uh I thought was interesting was when they get to Raiden's Temple and uh they're getting ready to to train Kano and and Cole. And Cole's a whole nother story. We can get to that later. Uh but yeah. Uh, Sonya Sonia go, goes to get into the pit and, and train, and they tell her, oh, no, 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 you can't come in here. You know, you, you don't have the mark. Because the whole thing is, is Sonia doesn't have her Mortal Kombat mark, so she hasn't been been drafted into the into the world of Mortal Kombat, even though she's the one that knows about everything and is basically the only competent one on the good guy's side. Right. Uh, and they make a big deal about Sonia can't be in the, in the pit. And uh, then later on, after, after Cole leaves and comes back, and they get back to, to Raiden's temple, Sonia's in the pit. And it's like, okay, well, what, did you just decide the rule didn't apply anymore, or what, what happened there?
3: That's a really good point that I didn't even think about. I, I do feel like there was a bit of this film, as with most, most films, that was left on the cutting room floor, leaving some of the, uh, the scenes feel, uh, they just feel messy sometimes. Um, I, I thought Cabal, uh, his costume was super cool. That's the guy with the helmet on and the little red slitted eyes kind of a, a cyborg type character i, I like the way that they handled the aesthetics of almost everything but you're right i i felt like and i don't know I, i'm sure this would even have bothered people but that idea of her needing to find to get the mark and find her arcana i felt like she she was a perfect layup for the protagonist of this movie you know
0: yeah and and i think cole who is our protagonist who's our eyes into this world was uh was just not as interesting a character, and they they did a little Lame. bit they did a little bit to pull that back at the end when the, you really understand that he is the descendant of Scorpion, and mm. you know that and you know obviously where they're going with this next film is if they do a next film, but they there's a big old allusion toward it at the end. He's going to uh, go recruit one of the most famous characters in Mortal Kombat, Johnny Cage, uh, who's not in this film, but I'm guessing we're going to see for sure in an, in, a, in a sequel if we get a sequel, which I'm pretty much positive we're going to get a sequel uh and i'm happy to hear that and i think we'll see the the tournament in the in the next film Uh, i overall had fun with it i did not have high expectations i treated this as going to be cheesy fun and that's what i got out of it so i was pretty happy with it so as far as a
3: mortal Kombat adaptation if we were going to put an arbitrary rating on it out of five like where does it fall uh you know as being the best version of a mortal Kombat movie you could make
0: Uh, You know, I think if the original 95 movie is a three, I'd say this is a four.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I I definitely don't think it's a four-star film. But as far as setting out to make a Mortal Kombat and taking, you know, decades worth of lore and trying to condense them into something in a totally different medium, I think they did a pretty good job of it. And I do think they understand and have reverence for the series. Uh, So if you are a fan of Mortal Kombat, I feel like you will be a fan of this movie. If you think it sounds whack going into it, yeah, it's that. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, we,
0: I hope you don't think this show has been whack, but we are out of time for this week. We will be back next week with more. Jeremy, thanks as always for joining me. Until next week, you're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92 3 and AM 1620.